Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. As is often the case, we found sugar dough on Twitter. I'd been following owner and chef baker Kane McDowell for a while and loved the look of his pastries in the ethos behind his business. Originally hailing from New Zealand via Melbourne, Australia, hello, Kane is an old school chef and has cooked in a variety of fine dining establishments both there and here in the UK. Ten years ago he decided to open his own bakery and now has two, one right in the centre of Brighton and one out in Hove, next door to his partner's cookbook shop, which you may have heard about in another episode. Thank you so much for seeing us today, Kane. It's quite cool, actually, because we've just sat and spoken with your partner in this beautiful cookbook shop in Brighton, and now we're going to talk to you about your story as well. So first question that we ask everybody, what is your first memory of food? Uh, I, th- I think it's, it's mum making homemade bread, and she used to make delicious sandwiches of, uh, you know, it was all wholemeal, it's all really delicious. I used to swap them for uh, shop-bought white bread with, with jam. <laughs> um, and yeah, my, my poor mother put all that work in and yeah, I swapped with my best mate. And yeah, it's it's one of those things of, she was a really passionate cook and, and she fed us really well. And you know, you sort of, uh, you leave home and, and, and that's when you realise that you quite like eating nicely. And uh, yeah, so probably where my interest in, in food came from was eating rather than rather than cooking so your mum was making you homemade bread and lovely homemade sandwiches and you were switching them out for cheap jam sandwiches oh yeah of course and, do. and you regret it now don't you no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, everyone was winning in that situation <laughs> when you're little you want you want the, you always want the what you stuff don't have. that you can't have mm, yeah. of course mm. now people have picked up there's an accent so you're from Australia slash New Zealand mm. yeah how did you end up in Brighton? Um, well, basically, my partner's from from here, and so uh, her sisters and brothers were all having small children, so she wanted to be involved in that. And so here we are, sort of, you know, I think it's fourteen years ago I came over, and yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know you sort of I don't know, it just happens, you know, forty years slip by, and here we are today. You know, Sugar Dough's <laughs> been going for ten years of that. Um, and yeah, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, you, you start travelling. I, I sort of consider myself a bit of a world traveller very slowly. So sort of working. I don't know. We might we might end up somewhere else. Who knows? Who knows? It's a surprise and an adventure. <laughs> Slow travel yeah. is the best travel. Yeah. So we have got two Aussies here. Yes, this is the second ever podcast we've had another Australian, which is nice. I don't feel quite so overwhelmed by Britishness. <laughs> now you started as a pastry apprentice. And then he moved on to a more broader focus as a chef. So what made you change focus? It, it was, it's one of those things that um, I, I quite like getting involved. And so it's just part of my personality. So when I work in a place, I get involved in, in everything, whether it's the ordering, whether it's the cleaning, whether it's the, you know, I, I just can't help but stick my nose in. Um, it's also the nature of restaurants. You know, someone calls in sick, so you find yourself doing lada. Um, you know, it's, then someone else, you know, quits or something happens. You find yourself on the fish section. I very early on, I, I sort of uh, started an actual chef's apprenticeship, but I couldn't afford to keep going because I just finished my pastry apprenticeship. And yeah, I sort of got pushed into into restaurants, um, and I, I found myself loving it. You know, it's it's one of those things that I think 
cooking itself is all is all a bit the same. You know, it's all attention to detail. It's all you know making what you've got work and 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 be really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think you know pastry is is something I enjoy, but it's not it's not the be all and end all of cooking. And yeah, it's. It is. It is just you know, restaurants are mayhem. It's it's one of those things that what can go wrong will go wrong, uh, and, yep. and you know each section is a different challenge. Whether you whether you're running the pass or whether you're doing the grill, doing sauce, it's sort of you know there's always tricks and things to learn, and I, I quite I quite enjoy that whole that whole process. Um, you know, it's really something that yeah I, I think you know it's challenging, but it's it's good to push yourself as well rather than you know if you just do one section you become very pigeonholed and quite bored I think after a while so mm. yeah um, that's that's pretty much <laughs> how I operate It makes sense then that you said that you like to get involved in everything that in two thousand and nine you decided to open your own place well I've run a lot of other people's businesses for them, and so it's um yeah I, I think I think that is is quite a Part of part of coming to Brighton that's been really good is is that I was forced to do that. Um, when we arrived here, like the the food scene in, in Brighton has and Britain has exploded in the last you know uh, sort of ten twelve years um, from what you can buy in the supermarket to um, you know what what restaurants are going. When I came over, the the bottom end of the the market was very open. I felt um, it's it's since become quite cluttered um, with lots of coffee roasteries and cafes and. All sorts of stuff going on. Um, when I first came here, you couldn't buy a coffee that you could drink. Um, it was one of those things <laughs> that you yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really was, great coffee. <laughs> it was hilarious. You'd sort of buy the coffee, look at it, pay for it, and just walk out. It was, oh, no. it, it was, uh, it was so far from where you wanted it. Uh, but you know, so Brighton was was quite small for me. Um, Melbourne is uh, where I was cooking before, and it's it's a proper city. It, it has you know a big business district. Um, Brighton is, is lovely there's, there's nothing wrong with Brighton but it just doesn't have that sort of business lunchtime trade mm-hmm. um, the, the amount of restaurants here that, that had decent sized teams for, for me to operate in was very small there was probably only two or three when I, when I came here um, the rest were sort of sole operators or um, very small sort of operations so it sort of forced me to open a business mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's, it, it's been really good you know it's, um, it's been one of those things of it, it's grown and grown and grown and yeah probably will grow again who knows who knows it's um really just depends on how much energy i've got another another 10 years in the reckon. and it started off very small it's, it's start, I, I actually quite miss that like the the job changes with with uh growth um initially it was me in a room i used to do everything from serve the customers make the coffees cook the food um it was long days but it was it was really nice it was, it was very rewarding um that didn't last very long i think i got my first staff member within a month um, it's <laughs> and, and yeah, it, I think we've got 26 or something now, um, and that's across two stores. Yep, and so yeah, it's 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 quite neat. You know, it's um, it's been that that side. It's quite an adventure as well. Um, in that you know, you get to watch people grow. You sort of you know, I th- you know, I, I have had people work for me for sort of six or seven years, and then they disappear. Um, you know, start start with them when they're 15, and then watch them grow up. And it's always always quite nice to see that mm. sort of development and and watch them go on to do bigger and better things or, or different things. <laughs> I don't know if it's bigger and better, but yeah. But no, it is, it is quite an interesting sort of process. So when you decided, right, I'm going to open my own place, given that your first kind of training was in pastry, were you certain that that was what you were going to do or were you more, you know, did you ever think, oh, it's going to be a restaurant or it's going to be a cafe or what made you choose the sugar dough route? It was, it was pretty much budget. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, opening a restaurant is very expensive. Opening anything is very expensive. Uh, we we opened with with very little money, and so it was very much a case of I think what has been holding me back before was the, the the actual cost, and you you have this whole idea of what you'll need, and the, and the bill for that is generally around a hundred grand. I, I I didn't have that, so um, we went to Morocco, and I was watching um, people run restaurants off small charcoal grills. If they didn't have, you know, didn't have fridges, they didn't have, they had nothing. They had a small charcoal grill. Mm. If they needed something, they ran and got it. So I, I adjusted my headspace and, and came <laughs> up with a different budget that I could afford. And the bakery format fitted into that very, very easily. What did that look like? So what, what the budget? Well, no, no. <laughs> what was what was it you ended up doing with that budget? You decided you could work with. Well, I, I had a, a fridge, a freezer, an oven, a six-pound rolling pin, and <laughs> and you know some some furniture to sort of dress up the front, and and that was it. As opposed to you know I was thinking I needed a daybreak, I needed a cool room, I needed mm. uh, the list was endless. Um, and yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it came from home because I'm a bit of a kleptomaniac. You know, I can't go past the Cookwest store without buying. A spatula or a bowl <laughs> or a, or a doodad that I desperately need. Yeah, um, I feel uh, you. <laughs> yeah. So it was, so it's good. We sort of emptied out the kitchen, and got to buy new stuff. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of it did come through that. And yeah, it it just it was it, it worked really well. Um, like the the first shop was amazing. You know, it's um, one of those things that you you open and and this is a, a very underutilized strip of, of hove. Um, I like to call it the Beirut end. You know, we, we would have sort of 300 people come through that, that one room. Wow. I, I had um, eight staff crammed in there at, <laughs> by the end before we moved to, to the other store. Um, and, I, and we did that for, I think, six years. And then and then we moved to bigger premises, which, you know, a little bit of me misses that old store. It was very compact. It's very efficient. I had complete control of it without, you know, without moving. Mm. Um, whereas bigger premises bring different mm. issues. Uh so yeah, but no, it was um, it was it was a really nice place to start. Everyone said I was crazy, and yeah, I think they were probably right. All the um, best people are. Yeah, and and it's one of those things that you know if you don't try it, it won't work. So yeah, and, and here we are now. <laughs> Do you think that this is why so many new chefs and upcoming cooks are opting for the pop-up route because of the expenses associated with open restaurant? It is one reason. Um, it's also. Do you mind if I ask it? A bit no, later? no, no. That's great. It's also um, cooks are cooks are very nonconformist, and uh, it is. I've got a lot of friends who, who are doing that sort of thing. It drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> some of those <laughs> things that um, it's uh, restaurants are about consistency and consistently producing stuff. And a lot of the time, like I, I, I think that you know, for me, the best cooking I've done has been in the last ten years. And you know, I had a business when I was twenty-one. I did some interesting food I don't think it was that great um, but I was very gung-ho and, and, and had a go it, it did alright financially and, and all the rest of it but um, uh, I think that you know it takes time and it takes maturity to, to, to sort of do that and a lot of a lot of people sort of aren't cutting their teeth they're sort of how do I put it I was really shocked when I came over here because people would turn up and say I'm a chef and you're like okay cool you're a chef great come and do some work they'd turn up without uniform without knives uh, without a book to write recipes in, uh, without a pen, <laughs> with nothing, um, and 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 to me that was I was amazed. <laughs> it was like one of those things. If you turn up without knives in Melbourne, you don't have any knives, um, and and you know, say, yeah. can I can I borrow the knives? Uh, people look at you like you're not touching my babies, mm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 one of those things that I think that the the that that whole trying to do there's a lot, at the moment there's a lot of publishers going on. 
Um, mm. it, it, it sort of drives me a bit nuts because if you're going to open a business that relies on food to outsource half of it is... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hate that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you, you should be in control of your own business. I would never outsource any of my kitchen or my, or my front of house. It's, it's, a, um, it's something, actually, that I was at a barbecue, a friend's barbecue mm. last weekend, and um, a friend of ours is a, a trained chef, has mm. been a chef in other people's kitchens for a long time, um, and he's opening up a... Um, he's doing pop-ups and street mm. food with some... It sounds ridiculous, but sandwiches. Okay. But really... Yep. bloody beautiful sandwiches um, and he was chatting to me because obviously I write a food blog and he was saying there are so many pop-ups and street food traders who are in Nottingham which is where he lives who are not who I say say oh burgers are trendy I'm going to do a burger pop-up hmm. and he was essentially saying the same thing as you is that he's coming at it from a completely different mindset and actually the mindset of a chef as opposed to someone who maybe is opening a, a pop up or doing something because yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good way in if it works and it's one of those things that and you've got that, to learn on the job. Yep, and and it's baby steps. And even like we've been going for for, for ten years, um, I think everyone has this impression that, that hospitality is very rock and roll and we're all getting rich and we're all running around having parties and, 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 and very, it's great. Very wrong impression. Of hospitality <laughs> yeah, <is. laughs> you know, it's, it's baby steps. We we have slow patches where we we break even and, and then we have insanely busy patches where we pay the bills um, occasionally we make some money um, you know but the, you know the reason that we make money is is that I generally work between you know a light day of sort of 10 hours um, I quite often do seven days a week um, it's uh, yeah it's it's not it's not the land of milk and honey um, and and you know it's it's one of those things that that, that sort of passion and that insanity drives you through it because mm. you know you well, also we've come so far we can't we can't go back now. <laughs> so. That's it. Speaking of coming so far, when you first started out in the industry, I mean, and obviously it's going to be different Australia versus the UK. What are the key things that you think have changed? Um, okay, so when I started back in the dark ages, uh, I think it was 1990. It was either end 89, 1990. It, it was uh, very heavily regulated, so there were not many restaurants. Um, there was not, you know, it was a much sparser environment. Uh, I think people got paid quite well. Places were really busy. Um, they deregulated it in Melbourne, uh, I think, in the early 90s. And suddenly restaurants popped up everywhere. It, it's so... It's sort of it's sort of great because the diversity for the, the consumer and the and the uh, you know the offerings, but it's got just so much more competitive. Mm. And you know, sort of the downside of that is there's a squeeze on turnover, so there's a squeeze on wages. And and you know, with the advent of things like VAT, and um, you know, I think I think that back in the day, a restaurant was a very profitable thing. Um, and you're also you also the expectation wasn't so high because there wasn't many of them. There's no Instagram either. <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone is now a critic. Oh, and, and yeah, like, you know, the, it used to be the mission guide was the, the definitive guide. I think, you know, it's, it's changing hugely. Like, how, where you choose to eat, you know, you, you, you go to TripAdvisor because, you know, you, you can't afford a 300-pound meal. So, you know, it's, um, you know uh, and, and there's all sorts of different forums for, for finding restaurants and for, you know, particularly for the consumer. I think, you know, the, I think we're very traditional um, in what we do is... is based on, on stuff that's been around for a long time. Um, 
but you know the the, the main difference is the diversity of, of foods and mm. and you know people are traveling more they have a, a different expectation of, of, of what they get you, you know the, the pressure on the on the restaurateur is quite high to produce you know if you're doing tex-mex stuff you, you've got to do decent stuff you can't just you know <laughs> produce pat stuff anymore it's got to be good and then you know the the how you promote your restaurants and and how chefs are presenting themselves has changed as well. Mm. You know, I quite often ask people if they've got an Instagram feed um, because that is really their CV. Yeah. And if they say yeah. no, um, I'm quite often a little bit unimpressed because it's like, where's the passion? Where's the interest? The passion. Where's the pride? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting it, it, that you yeah. say that. It is, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, lots of them. Uh, well, what, what I really like is um, lots of them, when they spend time with me, uh, that's the bulk of their Instagram page now is, is stuff they've done for me um, and I, th- I find that really pleasing and it's also it's quite neat because I can look at their Instagram feed and go that's right when you were here we were doing that and then we bring it back <laughs> it's, uh, nice. yeah, it's, uh, no, but it is it is a very competitive market now very very competitive you talked just then about the fact that you you like to do things in a bit more of a traditional way um, and that certainly comes through with your food so you're quite um, kind of use traditional techniques, and you talk about nose to tail baking. Can you tell us a bit more about what you mean by that? Well, so in in my first job, we used to buy backpack chicken pieces to make pies, oh, um, mm, and use yeah. um, delicious delicious stock powders. I, I don't do any of that. So what I've tried to do is I try to bring across uh, a la carte techniques. So we make our own stocks. Um, we buy a whole sheep and whole venison. We butcher them. Um, so we use the bones for, for stocks. We use the meat for pies or for specials or for whatever. Whatever going, you know. Quite often when I do the sheep, we steal some racks for the staff meal. It's uh, it's one of those things that we try and use the entire animal. You know, I'm, there's no vat pack meats coming in. <laughs> I, I you know we, we don't use whole whole cows mainly because I uh, don't have room to store them. Um, <laughs> but you know it would be good. There's a dream to get a bigger premise and. And be able to do that sort of thing, um, you know. But we really try and try and make everything. So you know, it's it's one of those things that you know we, we have lardo on in town. Um, we make the lardo. Uh, I try not to. I try not to waste anything. I try not to. I try not to to buy stuff in that we can make. You know, even even to the point of, yeah, I, I quite like to use fresh spices. So I'm, I'm really lucky. I have a little shop down the road called Kernels. So they do fresh turmeric and bits and pieces that my main veg suppliers can't buy for me. Yeah. Um, they also get stuff off allotments for me so we can use wildflowers and bits and bobs so it's, it's very much about trying to use real product and and you know and making everything as it should be rather than you know using a can or using yeah. uh, uh, you know if, if we need apples we peel apples <laughs> you know it's uh, one of those things but yeah the nose to tail thing is I'm also a bit of a fan of um, St John's and so yes, yeah. it's one of those things that I kind of looked at a bit from them but um, <laughs> no, it's, we uh, have um, Fergus on our on our mega wish list. One day, if you're listening. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a, a yeah. I, I like I like that style. Of, Absolutely. Yeah. When he says you're a pig strutter, it looks like a pig strutter. <laughs> it's a bit confronting. <laughs> no, it's uh, but no, it's, it's very much yeah, that's that's sort of the ethos going all the way through. So we try and you know it's all butter, it's all yes. real food rather than uh, any substitutes, and and you know a little little extra effort with you know it it, it works from the point of view that to buy any decent quality meat so it's expensive if you're buying whole carcasses it's cheaper so there's a little mm. bit of extra labor but you know you also get to you get to see the product you know my my uh, lamb supplier I really love where I take the 
take the guys over during lambing and they go and look at lambs being born, which is quite disgusting, um, but quite amazing at the same time. Um, freaks everyone out. Um, we have a lot of vegetarians and vegans working for us, though quite often a bit sort of, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it improves the whole experience, but um, uh, yeah, um, but I really like seeing that, you know, seeing the product come from you know, a farm just over the hill and you can see it being, uh, how it's been husbanded. Uh, you can see the care that he puts into it, and then the product turns up and it, it speaks for itself. So you know the provenance of what you're using, yeah, and fantastic. it just makes such a big difference, doesn't it? It's just the way it should always be. Oh, it's basically. also fun as well. Um, you know, I, I quite like to do a bit of foraging, and that and that to me is you know just a, an excuse to go over the hills. Um, and foraging generally ends up, it ends up in a pub, so you know you you, you finish with a big bag of wild garlic and some elderflowers and. Um, and and foraging, in the, <laughs> it's, uh, it's imagining you skipping through the fields yeah. with a basket. Uh, oh, yeah. and foraging it's, in the UK, you know you're not going to come across a snake or you know, one of the many things. When I was in Melbourne, I had a white tail on my pillow. Of course you did. Okay, I'm a sourdough nut, so she's not what? a sourdough nut. It's a donut. You're a sourdough nut. 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 Yeah, although I do like sourdough nuts. Mm. Anyway, this is getting confusing. <laughs> what makes a good loaf? And what are you looking for when okay, you're so making it and when you're eating it, all that fun stuff? The reason, the reason we do sourdough is that I always made bread in restaurants. Uh, we started off making bread. We made quite bad bread when I, when I first started training. Uh, but I was always inspired. There's a place in Melbourne called Natural Tucker, which has been there for as long as I can remember. Um, I always buy their bread, and that's how I sort of got interested. I like that, that whole flavour profile that you get from slow-proof breads. Um, it's it's just one of those things that you can't make bread quickly. And so initially when you when you start sort of getting interested in, you know, you, you eat something from the local bakers and it's, it's fine, it's, you know, it is what it is. And then you discover something like natural tucker and you just have a, you have an epiphany of this is, this is where it's supposed to be. Um, and it's, it's very much about that time thing. And, you know, that's one of the things that is really hard for for home cooks is is saying I want a loaf of bread. Oh, you have to wait three days. Is it's not really a, a you know the way forward. Um, with, with my bread, I, I try and not be too nerdy about it. In that I try and make a loaf that is usable as a as a sandwich, but also has a really good flavour profile. Mm. Um, uh, like a lot of the bread I made in restaurants would use really high hydration, so it has great big bubbles in it. Mm. Um, you can't put butter on that. No, no, it all ends up in <laughs> that your lap. Make, that does, that does yeah. not make good toast. Well, no. no. Well, I mean, it, it has a nice smell and a nice flavour, but, but yeah. it's butter. Impractical bread, yeah. indeed. All your fillings end up on the, yeah. <laughs> That's, it, it, like bread is, is one of those things, it's, it's quite interesting. I think it's, for me, it's very much that whole... Um, there's a, a, a trinity of, of ingredients, which is flour, water, and salt, and and you can do so much with that, you know. Mm. Um, and you can, it, it's, it, I think it's quite a pure form of cooking, in that basically, mm. you know, you have those ingredients, and then it's down to your skill and your knowledge to to make something. And what you make is, you know, really only limited by by you. And so I think it's I think it's quite neat. How old is your starter, and does it have a name? Uh, it's called Keith. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, um, Keith is Keith has been going since slightly before, so about six months before I started the business. I, I started Keith. Keith has almost died a couple of times, but he's he's. Um, I, I actually keep a, a small tub of which I replace every month or so in the freezer, mm. um, so that basically, if if yeah. um, it, it is a disaster if it, if it gets killed. 
like I've had people throw it away and mm, uh, and uh, yeah, all sorts of things in other restaurants. Here is it's one of those lectures that you get on first day. Yeah, is don't mess with the starter. <laughs> um, and, Leave uh, Keith alone. <laughs> indeed, uh, it's it's got a got a funny thing though. It's like that whole thing of I I quite often it, it drives me crazy because people say, oh, you know, we've got this starter and it's from my you know the middle of the the fifteenth century, blah blah blah, and nothing's <laughs> made it, etc. etc. It doesn't actually make a difference after. The first sort of month or so, your starter is is what it's going to be. That's and, interesting. And it, it, it doesn't really develop anything other than a story. Um, and, and a so, name. And a name, yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's one of those things that are... But it is it is one of the, part of the whole mythology of, of uh, you know, San Franciscan Sado. Mm. Um, you know, it's all it's all just this big myth, which is it's quite romantic and lovely, really. But, you know, it doesn't actually make a difference. Our starter is called... Ethelmund. <laughs> Ethelmund? Yeah. Excellent. Because Ethelmund is the person that founded the, I say village, but it's now been swallowed up into Bristol in Westbury on Trim, where we live. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Ethelmund. Yeah. Ethelmund. I like that. Keith is better. Well, it's uh, <laughs> one of those things that my daughter named him, so it's one of those. Yeah. Mine, when I had mine, it was Gunther. Gunther. <laughs> uh, they need talking to as well. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. that's it. That's it. Uh, they need a name at that point. <laughs> Do you... Now, there's... I've been to various classes and spoken to various people over the years, and I was told... Because I used to have mine in... I think it was just in a plastic container, and I just used to mix it with a spoon. But then someone told me it had to be in a glass container, and you have to mix it with a natural... Like a, like wood or, or plastic only. What do you think? It, it's quite... It's one of those things that um, people like to sort of make this more difficult than they are. Um, starters are very simple they need water they need food and they need warmth and what container you put it in what you mix it with whether you mix it clockwise or anti-clockwise there's there's all these things that come in like quite often when I I go in somewhere like I haven't done it for ages because I've been been here but when you go somewhere you find them doing stuff and it's very much tradition based Mm. and you know you don't have to do it like that um, there are no rules around it. You know, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can so as long as it works and get the result that you want. Um, the no, it can be in any container you want. I've have kept them in all sorts of old buckets and uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, no, the, the the flour and the water do their own thing. Um, people add all sorts of stuff to it. Some people add yogurt. Um, some people add sultana juice. Some people add the bottom of the bottom of the beer bottle. All of these things do things to the starter mm. um, you know but really flour and water is is you know that, that's it it's you know to me that's from for me I, I think you know I change the flour on some of them so I run a rye starter for my rye one I run a white starter for, for, for most of them you know they do react slightly differently but really it's it's just that you know the flour and the water doing its thing um, bit of wild yeast and yeah it's it's there's no there's no actual rules that I think make any sense with them because people will tell you all sorts of stuff. That will probably be quite comforting to our listeners because, you know, I think people... Sourdough is that thing at the moment that I think it used to be making your own beer and that people nerd out on to the point where it's almost off-putting to someone who wants to start it at home. Whereas actually what you're saying is... That's just you know, Get Keith, stick <laughs> him in a bucket, yep. off and the it's, it's, I think the cup. I think the hardest thing about it is, is time. Um, like when I first started that's what I struggled with was how much time mm. and you know it's one of those things that I, I quite like to run a three day process 
Okay. And so uh, that's, you know, how long it takes to make bread. Um, and yeah, whereas generally you don't, you know, you're hungry now. You want bread now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is fine if you started yeah, the process three, three days, days ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are some great books uh, which Julie can point you out to if she was here um, about it. And there's a can-do, there's a can-do series and can-do sourdough is um, very much about fitting sourdough into a modern life. And so it's, it's quite a, you know, a neat way of breaking down the process and fitting it in around work, around normal life rather than, you know, a lot of the books are based on commercial production so yeah that's brilliant now last question okay you have two slices of lovely sourdough that you've baked you have access to any fillings you like what does the perfect sandwich look like right you're going to be disappointed um i'm i'm a big fan of toasting it and sprinkling chili flakes and and, and salt on it with lots of butter um and it's uh oh that sounds amazing it's one of those things that um that's that's sort of my go-to snack at home. I I honestly don't eat that many sandwiches. Um, I do lots of things with sourdough. Um, like the one of my favourite parts of the day is we do staff meal for all the staff. Um, soggy bread salad is my is my uh, my daughter's favourite thing, which is basically bread dredged in olive oil and balsamic with lots of chopped up bits and pieces. Good actually. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, it, it works. Honestly, I'm not a big sandwich person. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so, enough. So. Because of that answer, if I may, I'm going to ask a final, final question. Mm. Tomorrow morning, Karis and I are coming to Sugar Dough here in Hove for our breakfast. What should we order? I think you should probably have a breakfast Danish, which is a, a bit of a... Uh, a lot of French people look at it and go, you can't do that to a Danish. It's, uh, <laughs> here we go, purists. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's free-range egg sprinkled with sea salt and pepper with black pudding and bacon. And so I, I, I love it. It's a, basically a, a breakfast in your hand. And, yeah, it's, it's really good. Done. It's a... I'm sold. I'll have two. How big are they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can try other things after that. It's a... But you have to have that be your, that, your that main your and your savoury yes. and then you have your dessert. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Breakfast One of my favourite customers comes in and it doesn't matter what time of the day, she has cake. And she's completely non-apologetic for having cake for breakfast. And Hashtag uh, cake for breakfast, breakfast. just yeah, saying. It's, uh, yeah, Perfect. I love it. It's totally a thing. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Kane. It's been brilliant talking to you. Um, and it's been brilliant talking to Julie as well. And we'll have two, two episodes. Two for one. Cool. <laughs> yeah, two for one, definitely. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll enjoy many of our other episodes. And you can find them at atthesource.com or if you look for us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, basically anywhere you find your podcasts. You can learn more about people like Kane and his partner Julie and so many of the other amazing people we've spoken to over the last year or so. Over and out.